Well, this is definitely the best interview that we've done on this book, wouldn't you say, Gary? Hey, everybody. You are listening to Canary Cry Radio, and my name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 141. Adds up to six. <laughs> if you add the numbers, you know, one plus four plus one. It's like uh, the count. <laughs> one, a one, four, a one, two, a three. Um, yeah, so 141 this episode, we have Gary Huffman and Douglas Woodward, and we're the return. We're very excited about this. They have a new book, The Revealing, coming out, and you guys are, uh, you better, better buckle in. The Revealing, Unlocking Hidden Truths on the Glorification of God's Children. And it, we're going to be talking about, uh, I don't know, a lot of new aspects of um, sort of end times related stuff. And these guys have really uh, done a lot of work to really paint a picture of what that means for the church. This isn't your usual uh, apocalypse episode. So stay tuned. We're excited for you guys to check it out. Yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, we talk about one of the main themes is sanctification in context to biblical prophecy and glorification, uh, I think it's it's a good conversation to have. It's one I think is definitely needed. So get your Bibles out for this one. You might be skipping around or your Bible app maybe. Yeah, a lot of scripture for those scripture lovers out there. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> you so definitely, out there. And also, <laughs> you out there. But also uh, if you want to check out Doug Woodward's uh, other appearances, you can look for episode 61 where we talked about Mars. Oh yeah. This is before all the flat earth oh, stuff. I this about is before that. this is before we did stop believing in planets. Um and <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> who's we? I believe in other dimensions in in the upper areas. Okay. Uh also 100 episode 100. That's always a good one to revisit, especially if you're a new listener to Canary Cry Radio and you don't want to sit through all 100 episodes, uh the first 100 anyway, you can go to episode 100 and get kind of a eight-hour download of what we're about. Yeah, Doug say, is if, in that. If, if every time a podcast ends and there's that silence in between one podcast and another podcast, if that just, uh, you, the world comes crashing down around you, check out episode 100. It's an eight-hour episode. There is no, <laughs> and it's a, it's a fun adventure where Gans and I, we sort of uh, travel the multiverse talking to uh, tons of guests. Do you remember how many guests exactly we have on that I, show? I don't remember. I don't remember it was, it was a lot. Big list. But it's a blast. Um, so go check out episode 100. A random plug yep. we're doing for our own show. Random plug. And also episode 112 was the last time Doug Woodward was on the show. That's right. So, so go check it out. He's back. Yeah. That was a few years ago by now. So... But before we jump into the episode here, folks, we want to remind everybody, Gons and I are still putting out bonus episodes, baby. That's right. Woo. If uh, our current schedule is not enough, Canary Cry for you, you can head to patreon.com slash canarycryradio. And here's the thing. I know a lot of people have issues supporting Patreon, but it's all we got right now. And if you go to Patreon, support the show, uh, I think it's for the, one of the lower levels. You get all of our bonus episodes. We've been doing Canary Cry Conversations. It's an interesting mix of stuff. Uh, Gons and I will hop on. Sometimes we, we, we t you'll listen to Gons and I just having our random uh, conversations that we have throughout the week. 
whether it's about uh, the newest Marvel movie and the Illuminati influences or uh, about some conspiracy theory we've just found out and are discussing or just getting an update on uh, the uh, training for the samurai warrior princess uh, <laughs> who will save us all in the apocalypse. Um, yep. That you can find all those bonus episodes at patreon.com slash canary cry radio and it's the uh it's the way to support this show uh this show is fully listener supported we don't believe in selling your attention for our own personal gain and it gives gons and i the warm and fuzzies when people go to patreon or canarycryradio.com slash support if you want to do paypal and uh and just letting us know that you appreciate all the work that we do and it helps us continue to do the work um, by supporting us financially. If you are not uh, into supporting us financially, if it's not in the budget or you just don't think we deserve it, uh, you you want us to keep uh, working as baristas, then um, you can uh, share the show on either Facebook, but that's not quite the most effective way, but that's good. You find your favorite Canary Cry Radio episode, just post it on your Facebook, share it with the world, or uh, even better, just text it. Go to your podcast app, find the episode, press the little share button, it's a square with an arrow going out of it, and uh, just text <laughs> it straight to somebody you think would like it or who needs to get woke. You keep using that phrase. Uh, and I, don't I like was it. using that phrase before anybody else. So <laughs> I'm trigger if I'm triggering you by telling people to get woke to Canary Cry Radio, then get woke. <laughs> Do we have a recording of you saying it before like the 2016 elections? There's got to be somewhere. Oh, I definitely so, someone archived it. De I, there, I definitely was saying it before the 2016 elections. Okay. Um, also, here's the thing, folks. If you want more Canary Cry Radio, if you want uh, more of Gons and Basil's uh, take on things, check out Canary Cry News Talk. I know I'm also reluctant to check out new podcasts. Who has the time anymore? Well, I'm telling you right now, you got enough time for Canary Cry News Talk. You can find it on all podcast catchers. Just type in Canary Cry News Talk. Gons and I take 29 minutes to uh, review a bunch of important news uh, stories that you probably have not heard during the week. This is not your usual uh, news talk show where we're just talking about the same old stuff as everybody else. Um, and it's, yeah, we talk a lot about robots. We've gotten some criticism about how much we talk about robots. <laughs> but we take that criticism seriously and we are branching out. You know, we're keeping track of... We're branching out to what we used to talk keeping about. Keeping track of the advances in uh, biotechnology, uh, geoengineering, uh, DNA, DNA, artificial intelligence, robotics, and uh, exploring how that fits in to everything we talk about on Canary Cry Radio. So, And you get awesome little snippets of sound, too, you know? There's jingles. We got jingles. We got news. Oh, what yeah. else do you want? I'm for the robots. I tried to tell you. So go check that out. Canary Cry News Talk. You won't regret it. Um, also, 
Oh, if you haven't done it yet, search Ravel in your uh, podcast catcher. That is a new show that is currently in post-production, getting edited together. It is strictly a Bible exploration podcast that I am doing with a very, very smart person, Christopher Ryan Gates. Um, and uh, we'll be exploring the Bible in the depth that uh, maybe you don't get on Sunday morning. And it's fun and it's good. So get on it. Ravel. <laughs> get on. on it. Get on it. Ravel on. All right. Anything else, Is guys? that how you end your Ravel episodes? No, but now I'm- You say Ravel on. I'm regretting that I did not end every single episode that way. Maybe we'll go in and, <laughs> and edit it, it in. in. Yeah. Or maybe it's a season two thing. Yeah. We'll see. What do you what do you what do you want? Anything else? Should we jump right in? <laughs> what do I want? What do you want? I'm good. I think I think everyone's ready to get into the interview. Okay, let's do it. Let's jump in. This is Gary Huffman and Douglas Woodward talking about the revealing. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, to the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many areas of theology that warrant deep discussion and deep thinking. Our history is littered with great men and women of God who have articulated and defended the arguments for not only the existence of God, but of the biblical God being the most crucial and essential truth for personal salvation. But what many people who declare themselves as followers of Jesus Christ might be missing is an understanding of the cosmic eschatology or the events of the end of history that is built into the salvation of our souls. As we find ourselves in a time when those who are warning about the days ahead are mischaracterized as doom and gloomers, date setters, and tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists by both non-believers and sadly fellow believers, the need to grasp an understanding about our actual eschatology through the person of Jesus Christ is ripe for discussion. And here on Canary Cry Radio, you're going to get that discussion today. We're joined by the co-authors of The Revealing, Unlocking Hidden Truths on the Glorification of God's Children, Gary Huffman, and returning guest, Doug Woodward. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Thank you. Doing Ooh. great. <laughs> Sounds sounds like you guys are really pumped. I know. I'm I'm actually a little afraid. That was kind of <laughs> that was no, kind well, of intimidating. I was, just, I was I was actually just 
just totally gobsmacked by the articulate nature of your introduction. I thought, well, what else needs to be said? I think we're done. (laughs) (laughs) We're supposed to fill in the blanks. Well, okay. Yeah, there are a few blanks. There are indeed a few blanks. (laughs) There's a lot of questions in there. So, Gary and Doug, can I call you Doug and can I call you Gare Bear? Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> I suppose my uh, son. My son calls me Garibaldi, so you can use that if you want. Oh, and he reminds us of Homer, Homer Simpson's neighbor, you know. And the, you guys don't have a picture of him up right now because this is audio only. Is but. that Flanders? That Flanders? Yeah. yeah. Hey, don't you think that's yeah. about right, Gary? Well, I do. I do say Oakley Doakley quite a bit. <laughs> wow, I, I, I've told this story before, but really, my my first exposure to like Christian or the Christian culture or Catholicism, whatever the religious sort of lifestyle was through Ned Flanders and the television <laughs> show. When I first started to understand, you know, what, what some of those people believed or whatever. So, uh, this is coming full circle for me. Yeah. Spirituality of Homer Simpson and Bart Simpson is, is really where it's at for Americans. I would say <laughs> that's actually totally true. They are the, mm-hmm. the bishops of uh, the secular society. But let's jump <clears throat> let's jump right into it. So you, you guys co-wrote a book and um first of all, I'm curious how you decided to co-write this book and then uh give us kind of an overview of what was the uh inspiration on this topic. Well, I think that's a Gary question. What do you think, Gary? <laughs> uh I can I'll do my best. Cool. So, um, well, first of all, I'll say that I uh, I found out about Doug by listening to Canary Cry Radio. Oh, so, yeah. Bringing great minds together. Doug. Yeah. And then uh, what happened was um, this was over 40 years ago. I uh, went to a Bible study and I started uh researching after this Bible study. The Bible study was basically on the feast of, on the uh, feast of the Jews and how they are prophetic, you know, uh, typology. Sure. And so I started studying that and I was I was pretty young, but it just was very fascinating uh, to me. So I as I studied, I found many other types in the Bible in the Old Testament, uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness, for instance, that all kind of fit into the same pattern. So that's, I, you know, laid all the, the groundwork basically, and I've been writing on that ever since, finding other books that fit in and, and such. And then um, I saw some stuff that Doug had written, and I thought, hey, he's kind of thinking the same way I am. And I got a hold of him, and he said, hey, maybe we should do this. I can be the publisher and editor, and, and uh, we'll... And then Doug contributed to the book, so he is a co-author, and we we've had fun. We <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, we have. We finally got to meet in person a couple on a couple of occasions, and um, and we had uh, just you know some great time together. And and uh, I had written some material all the way back to book number three, uh, Black Sun Blood Moon, and then I revised that book uh, during the Blood Moon craze. Of uh, what was that of, of 2012 or <laughs> or 2014? Yeah, totally. 
Yes, and uh, but the the focus of that book, I'd always wanted to really use the title "Keeping Watch," you know, like that. That that that's really the the point of eschatology is mm. is not necessarily to set dates. It's to to always have an edge about us that we always need to be, you know, thinking that the Lord is going to come any day now, and that you know, even if He's not going to come for a hundred years. I always believe that the that the the teaching of Christ is that the kingdom of God is coming and you need to be ready for it. And so each day is kind of a, a final day of judgment, if you will. You know, right. so yeah. so that's that's kind of where I've that's kind of where I've always been. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, reading through some of the materials uh on your book here. You know, especially on this show, there's a lot of attention paid to uh, what we might call the apocalypse, how to identify it, when it might be coming, are we near, are we far, oh, God forbid, did it already happen? And, <laughs> and we were left behind. <laughs> and we're still plugging away. Yeah, yeah we're deceived. <laughs> but uh, it seems like this book has a little bit more of an attention on even after that event. Mm. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't pay much attention to. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, right. it's true. Yeah, we, we don't really uh, talk about timing much in the book at all. We don't try to come down and say this is going to happen, you know, at a certain point. But... Um, what does God have planned for the church, really? And it all it well. When I was studying those those that typology, I discovered that it all boiled down to something to do with the manifest glory of God, mm. Shekinah glory of God, and um, <clears throat> so that's really what we concentrate on. Uh, hey, and can I just read the Bible verse from the cover of our book because it kind of uh, summarizes what what it's about. Please do. Yeah. It is Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's really what it's all about. Mm. Yeah. The one of the the themes is 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 really asking the question. You know, what is what is it that we are focused on? You know, as Christians, in terms of what comes after this life. And, you know, some people might say, well, it's the rapture. You know, some people might say, you know, well, it's, I plan to die. It's going to be my resurrection or something like that. But, you know, whatever it is, we, we don't go that one step beyond and ask ourselves, okay, so let's assume we're raptured. All right. Now, whenever it is, you know, whether it's pre, mid, post, pre-wrath, whatever, whenever it is, okay, what happens right after that? And the kind of the common thinking is, well, you know, we go to that great mansion in the sky. Right. And we sit there and we twiddle our thumbs and we kind of wait for the <laughs> Antichrist to do his thing and, you know, Plenty and kill art. kill, you know, two thirds of the Jews that are left in Jerusalem. And, you know, and we kind of just sort of think, well, you know, thank goodness we escaped all that. And and um and our book says wrong. And uh <laughs> It says that there's there's actually a mission for the church. We believe there's a mission for the translated believers who are immortal, and that we don't sit on our on our duff very long. We get we get busy, 
So uh, that's that's really kind of where we want to go with the book. Although we we you know it's really focused a lot on sanctification and then going from sanctification to glorification and and what that means. And so a lot of the book is really a detailed exegesis or Bible study on the issue of sanctification, which to be really frank, is not a topic of great interest to most Christians today. They would rather deal with the the fringe issues, the fantastical things, um, and so there's you know uh, it it seems always seems strange to me that we have you know our focus ought to be on becoming like Christ and ultimately the glorification of the believer is exactly that you know right. be inheriting the glory of God and uh, so we you know we think of our of our reward as going to heaven when really the reward is being the recipient of the divine nature of yeah. fully you know fully uh, gaining the glory of God yeah, you know, one of the things that really struck me early on in looking at, you know, really digging into the Bible uh, was Moses' encounter on Mount Sinai when he came down. I think it's Exodus 34, where his face was shining. And the parallel there with the New Testament and Jesus, and, and that's why I decided to name my the YouTube channel Face Like the Sun. It was based on that concept of this glorified yeah. state. Um, but yeah, I, I like that you're bringing together this, uh, this area of sanctif sanctification to bridge between justification and glorification, because we can kind of nebulously talk about the glorified state or whatever. We could get into the details that you guys have come up with, but, uh, and we focus a lot on the justification part of it in terms sure. of salvation. And, and there's plenty yep. that have been written on that, but I like that you're, yeah. uh, covering the slack, so to speak of the church. Mm. Uh, bridging those two things together, and I think you guys have kind of a uh, an il illustration using the the tabernacles. You guys want to get into some of that? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary, do you want to talk about kind of the three um, sort of three sections of the tabernacle and how that kind of squares up with the three uh, phases of of, yeah. of, of uh, salvation? Sure. Yes, um, and uh, just also. Again, reiterating the tabernacle, the three major parts of the tabernacle also coincide um, with the three major feasts. The three feasts are broken up into seven parts, but um, so the um, the outer court of the of the tabernacle it uh, corresponds. That's where the sacrifice was made. Uh, corresponds or on the brazen altar, that corresponds to salvation, sacrifice lamb there. Jesus is our sacrifice lamb. Um, <clears throat> so well, that, we're, just, we're justified there, right? Yes, justified. And that yep. corresponds, of course, to Passover and the feasts and the three parts of Passover. Then um, the second part of the tabernacle is the uh, holy place. And the separate parts there, the, the furniture in the holy place, uh, the, the table of sh showbread, uh, the Menorah? candle, candle uh, golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. All of those, uh, you know, I think a lot of scholars have shown that, that those all correspond very much to... Um, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, basically, which is sanctification. And that, so we have the Holy Spirit to bring us to 
something which would be eventually what is in the holy place, which is the manifest glory of God. And of course, uh, for the Jews, that was on the manifest glory of God. Well, they, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies uh, one day a year, and that was the Day of Atonement. But um, so that's uh, justification, sanctification, and then glorification was the third part, which correspond to Pentecost as the second uh, feast, which, of course, the church was born when the Holy Spirit came, so it all has to do with the Holy Spirit. And then um, the last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, which corresponds to the, the uh, Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So, and dwelling and dwelling with God, dwelling with God. So yeah. the so God's the the, the tabernacle sort of being a representation of the process that we can look forward to. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's that's really the point is that we progress from the outer outer uh, court to the holy place. Uh, so we're justified and we we reside predominantly in the holy place. And then one day a year, you know, we get to go into the the holy of holies, which really represents our resurrection, or our rapture, which is really the same thing. It just is a question of when it occurs. Right. And um, and then we we are in the presence, the manifest presence of God, which is um weighty it's heavy it's you know it's it's palpable so much so we recall that when solomon dedicated the temple and they were singing and you know playing all the instruments and everything was just coming to a to a glorious conclusion god god's presence dwelt uh came into the holy of holies and even beyond throughout the temple so much so that that the scripture says that the priests could no longer minister there they had to flee because of the power of the glory of God. And that's, you know, that's really what we're saying. That's the reward. That's what our focus should be. It's mm-hmm. not that we're going to be in the mansion in the sky as much as that we're going to inherit the glory of God, that be partakers of the divine nature. And that's, you know, that's our view is that that's the most important prophecy of all. And it's the prophecy that we never talk about. Yeah. It's, it's so right for discussion too with, the, the topic of transhumanism, which we, you know, we track on Canary Cry Radio and Canary Cry News mm-hmm. Talk, it's becoming so rapid that this, this discussion needs to take place. Mm, yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Now, a lot of uh, the material that I see surrounding your book, you know, involves what happens after the rapture and, you know, the... Uh, after reaching the sort of state in our eternal lives, like you were mentioning, um, inheriting the the sort of divine nature of being uh, surrounded by the 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 thick um, manifest glory of God, it also seems that uh, we might have a job to do. Several. <laughs> oh, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> Go ahead, Gary. Yes. Um, well, let's see. The um, I want to just reference Second Thessalonians two eight, where uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says he he uses a phrase, the epiphany of his parousia, parous parousia. Let me say, uh, I always have trouble with that. Um, 
So, which basically means the brightness of his coming. And um, that, the epiphany, or it outshining, um, it gives you a kind of a clue that there is a, a time, a period, when his presence is somewhat hidden, at least to part of the world. And then uh, when Jesus comes in power and great glory, that, that is what Paul calls the epiphany of his parousia or the brightness of his coming. Uh, so during that period of time, that is before the brightness of his coming, and Jesus alludes to this too in uh, Matthew 24, where he uses two different verbs for coming. One is parousia, and he talks about the, th the events that are going to happen during that time, and then he speaks as if they're the the, the end product of that whole uh, process then is when he comes back with power and in power and great glory so it seems to be a again a time period there's a something happening in in the meantime so uh, we put some of these things together with some stuff from Ray Steadman uh, I had discovered a long time ago his little book um, what on earth is happening Ray Stedman was a pastor in uh, in Florida, and uh, he was very this was well like known. from nineteen seventy something. It was kind, he was kind of a contemporary, really, with when Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye were breaking on the scene. Ray Stedman was was kind of in that same you know sort of same time frame. Now he hmm. he ministered longer, but that was kind of when he was really having an impact. Yes. So. Uh, it appears from many, you know, we put many verses together in the Bible that show that something is happening over uh, in the Holy Land. Something's happening over Israel, something happening over Mount Zion um, that, uh, you know, deserves a little more examination. And it has to do with God's glory over Israel. And, you know, so you, there's... It's, it's talked about in, like, was it Isaiah 6, Gary? And then a lot of verses from oh, Zechariah yeah. that we kind of just float past. And there's, mm -hmm. I don't know, a dozen verses from Zechariah that kind of speak to this, that glory that, that dwells over Israel. And sometimes we think, well, that's just, that's just the millennium. But it, it sounds like that it it happens, the residence of the glory of God happens prior to the full appearance and the full second coming. And that's one of the things that the scripture seems to say that is different than our traditional scenario. And, uh, and so this, this appearance of glory is sort of the first of several things that are, that are really the, the things that happen right after the rapture. Huh. Now you say appearance of glory. What is what does that mean in practical terms? <clears throat> well, that's a tough one. The cover of the book, you know, the cover of the book kind of is is sort of highlighting that that there's this, you know, appearance, and so kind of begins with that. What what do you think, Gary? Yes, um, yeah. The cover of the book, uh, of course, somehow miraculously, there's a temple on the Temple Mount. <laughs> <laughs> a rebuilt temple and people and, don't always catch that you know we kind of go no wait a second what's funny about the temple mount look at it carefully <laughs> and then and then the glory of god you know depicted above the, the temple above jerusalem above mount zion um 
So that is kind of what we're alluding to and what we think the, the Bible is, is talking about. Um, and Doug mentioned Isaiah 4. I just want to kind of read a, a couple snippets out of Isaiah 4, if you don't mind. Please. Let's see. So it says, talks about the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Then I'm skipping. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And, uh, of course, this uh, apparently is talking about when Israel... um, begins to turn back to to Yahweh. Um, so says there's going to be a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then the Lord, this is verse uh, 5, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle. So there it relates it to possibly the Feast of Tabernacles and the tabernacle in the wilderness. There will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. So it appears that the the manifest presence of God and, uh, you know, one of the words that, that uh, is used by the Jews is the Shekinah glory of God. It means it is actually something you can see and and possibly feel, you know, like Doug said, weighty. Yeah. Um, in right here in physical, you know, space and time. Um, and that well, it will somehow have to do with the protection of Israel. Well, and, and you know, to, to kind of jump into, that's sort of the, the first thing that we bring up. And we don't, we don't exactly know you know, the particulars, but somehow where Christ is, the church is, and if we've been raptured, we are already, we have inherited the glory of God. And so one of the questions is, you know, is the church part of the appearing at that point? And the one of the teachings of Paul, of course, is, you know, that the current world system is run by powers and principalities and powers, dominions and so forth. And they are all going to be, they're going to lose their jobs. They're going to get replaced by the, the resurrected, the raptured, the church. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's going to occur, you know, as the rapture occurs. I've always felt, you know, that the displacement of the of the angels and Satan throwing thrown out of heaven, you know, because the scripture says there's no more room for them. You know, I thought, well, maybe that's because all of the saints have come, you know, to dwell with Christ in, in heaven, in the heavenly places. And we have displaced at that time the the powers uh, that that rule the uh, you know the world, and so exactly how that happens, you know the timing of that relative to what's occurring on the earth with Antichrist and the the battle the final battle in Jerusalem and all that, you know it's not it's not perfectly clear, but we wanted to bring forward this idea that you know the it may be happening uh, you know even before the visible second coming of Christ uh, where he comes you know to judge yeah and so that's sort of a second thing that is a major factor to think about yeah, yeah you know really interesting it's interesting because uh, when most Christians or people think about 
you know, the second coming and and heaven and what the nature of our lives, our conscious lives will be after that event. Like you mentioned, it's just kind of, well, we all get to go up to heaven and that's it forever. <laughs> the circle, you know, is the circle <laughs> going to be unbroken? You know, right, we all yeah. go by and by. <laughs> Pie yeah. in the sky, by and by. But yeah. through some of these, it looks like through some of these Old Testament references, it looks much more like there will be an active participation in uh, you know, what in particular, the millennial reign or just the... Well, uh, even towards the end of the, sometime after the rapture, towards the end of the tribulation period, and again... You know, I think Gary is more of a mid or pre-wrath guy, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sort of, I don't want to die in the hill of being a pre-trib guy, but <laughs> I've sort of been a pre-trib guy, but, but you know, this this could well be more of the pre-wrath kind of thing that happens sometime before uh, the wrath is, you know, poured out on the, on the earth. You know, the and, most incredible yeah. thing is that two people with... Uh, differing stances on the tribulation can come together as one. Well, indeed, yeah, it's uh, it's that isn't the that isn't the point. And, the lion you know, will lay down with the lamb. There you go. Uh, well, that's that's the Mandela effect. You know, it's actually the wolf. That's thing, right. I know. I yeah. almost said the wolf just yeah, for my yeah, Mandela yeah. people out there. I know. I know. I know. So, well, and the the other thing I'll mention, um, you know, is the is the protection of the of the Jews. You know, the the big thrust of uh, Scotty Clark and the whole issue of uh, the rapture and, you know, the, 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 who is the woman and who is the, <coughs> who is the person that's caught up to heaven in, in revelation chapter 12, uh, Gary, you want to talk a little bit about that issue and how that kind of, you know, relates to the story? Sure. Um, yeah. Revelation 12. Let's see if I can find, I may have, to at, might have to look at a note here, but um, it talks about the man-child, and, you know, I know that uh, even um, Michael Heiser, who we all greatly respect, uh, <laughs> I think he pretty much thinks that this is about the birth of Jesus. But uh, what, I, what we talk about in the book is that it, it says, okay, in, in uh, Revelation 2, 26, 29, it says, He who overcomes keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And we know it talks, the Bible talks about Jesus ruling the nations with a rod of iron. But here it talks, he who overcomes. And then in Revelation 12, it says, uh, the woman is in labor and in pain to give birth. And then... Um, the man child the comes out. Yeah, she, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Mm -hmm. So that kind of links he who overcomes with, with this man-child. And it says her child was caught up to God and his throne, which, um, let's see, who was that? We used uh, a scholar to support some of this too, uh, Doug. Oh, 
Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's actually <laughs> Michael Michael Schwiegel of Dallas yeah. Seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary. He yeah. wrote a book and talked about you know the word "caught up" is the same word "harpazo," uh, which is the same word for rapture. That the that this man child was raptured to heaven, and and it's a it's a different word than ascended, which Christ ascended into heaven. Mm-hmm. And so there's a strong argument. In fact, you know I think some of the old dispensationalists gone. It's not to you know, beat the drum for dispensationalists, but some of the old dispensationalists <laughs> used Revelation 12 as an argument for uh, the rapture of the church, and um, and and so it you know it is possible. That's what Swiegel talks about. Uh, he, I'll, I'll read this one paragraph from his paper. It says, The crux of the argument of his paper lies with the identification of the male child born to the woman, Israel. The following section will examine this identification in greater depth. In preview, it, it, yeah, in preview, it will be argued that the male child born to the woman has, like the dragon and possibly the woman, a double referent, one an individual, Jesus Christ, the other a corporate body, the church. Uh, five main arguments for this identification will be given. One is the consistency and symbolism of Revelation 12, 2. Two is the significance of the allusion to Isaiah 66, 7 to 8, which, you know, that's the nation born in one day. And, you know, sort of in in the modern prophecy movement, we've always assumed that that was Israel. But the, the, the nation born in a day could be that peculiar people known as the the church that is glorified instantly uh, and becomes that nation. All right, number three, the lexical issues involving the snatching up of the male child, which really is the, the meaning of the word harpazo. And then fourth, the identification of the male child as the one who will rule over the nations with an iron rod, meaning that it's it's both Christ and it's his church. And number five, the absence of the death and resurrection of the Messiah in this passage argues for the identification of the male child with the church. So he has a whole paper on this and a book that was written on this as well. And it doesn't have to necessarily be pre-trib, uh, but it's just identifying that the that this this you know that this harpazo this caught up is is likely not just Christ but Christ and the church. Mm, that's really mm. fascinating, especially the context of the dragon being thrown down to earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That that whole. I mean, we can bring up all sorts of angles to that, you know, with, with the yeah. fringe, but it's interesting that there would potentially be a earthly manifest, an earthly counter to that, um, yeah. that, yeah. you know, yeah. the, it, it's interesting. I, I, I think uh, there was a point there on one of the, I think it was the first or second point, I wanted to ring my bell because it was it was exactly <laughs> what I was thinking for, you know, a few years, like, hey, I think there's something else going on with a couple of these passages. <laughs> Uh, not yeah, so yeah. much the uh, modern, yeah. So, but you know, I, I, these are all uh, obviously they're they're still up in the air. We don't know for sure, but uh, I, I think they're really interesting to investigate. And they seem to, I, I mean, you know, just sitting here talking to you guys, Revelation twelve has always been a very challenging chapter for me, just because you know I've heard Heiser's interpretation, I've heard different interpretations. Um, and I'm kind of you know, eh, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what what well, it all means well, because it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of imagery going on and stuff like that. So, uh, right. but this one definitely um, has a little bit of weight, if you will, has a little bit of, uh, I think, uh, room to grow in terms of investigating. And, and I'm sure you guys tried to find all the rabbit trails 
that could connect to this. <laughs> well, uh, it's intimidating to me too, Gons, because uh, there have been many prophecies in my life from uh, mainly from women that I am a man child. And uh, <laughs> so it's really had me worried Does this there. Mean you're, you're questioning your gender. Are you ready to make a change that you'd like to announce today? I yeah. think I think that they were trying to uh, proclaim that uh, I just wasn't the the, the one for them. Uh, well, oh, we, can, yeah. we can start calling you Chelsea. <laughs> Ooh. They weren't ready for you. They, were, they weren't oh, ready. Social commentary. Yeah, that's what you get here, folks. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, there's well, there's a ton of things, and uh, Gary, I don't. Do you want to talk about the Hoyos, the sun, and the arson, well, and that, all that? Where, where do you want to go? Yeah. Um. Just another, and this can can go into that. Uh, another comment on Revelation 12. Um. So we mentioned that you know that this could be a double fulfillment. Maybe it maybe it's the birth of Jesus, but then goes on to uh, you know, to the uh, <clears throat> to the end times, to the yeah. complete fulfillment. Um, and, uh, you know, we talk about in, in Romans 8, where Paul talks about the adoption of sons, that word in the in the Greek is huios adoption or huio adoption, which means son adoption. And the, and the huio basically means uh, a mature male son <laughs> i guess male son is redundant but um well so, maybe not in our day i don't know uh, maybe not maybe <laughs> not um so in revelation 12 is talking about the same thing it's talking about this son adoption we believe in in the taking up that's part of because that's what paul says in romans 8 that it's uh the glorification of the believer he says and the changing of our bodies he says this is the son adoption he, he says it right out um, so I just wanted to, to also throw this in and then I'll go back to son adoption. Revelation 12, six, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God and they should feed her there 1,260 days, which would be three and a half years. So, um, you know, we talk about who is that they, it doesn't really say a very, you know, you have to look back and say, okay, what could they be? And really, the only they that I, the only uh, antecedent to that they would, you know, I'm looking in Revelation 12, would be the man-child as a company, as more than just one, and and so uh, that's kind of kind of explains, you know, going back to Rev, uh, Isaiah 4, where it talks about protection of Israel. This is kind of, I believe, this is Revelation talking about the same incident where they. The, the uh, glorified uh, weos, glorified male sons, and it, that that is does include females, but mature sons um, are glorified, and they should feed her there. So it's a it's a protection of Israel for three and a half years. That's what it appears to be, and that's what I believe is that period of time Paul talks about. That is the parousia, and then when Jesus comes back and power and great glory that is the uh the revealing which name of our book there's the there's the ercoma or, 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 or is the other word for coming. is the yeah. greek word yeah that jesus uses um for the second coming yeah so to the 
just real quickly then, um, sorry, I'm going on here, but the, there's, there are other words, but, but we talk about the three main, in our book, we talk about three main words that are used for, uh, for a child. There's a, uh, technion, which is a small child, technon, which is an older child, and then huios, or, we, um, yeah, huios, which is, uh, a mature son. And um, so there's, so the, the, this is what is used, you know, huios is what Paul uses when he says son adoption in Romans 8. It's um, the word that's used here in Revelation 12. Um, so this is a, it, it, that's why it says male child. It is the mature, and I believe, we believe it's the mature church that is adopted and we we usually think of adoption as being um you know when <clears throat> when a family decides to to bring somebody into their family well the jewish ver uh, idea of adoption here is really coming into your inheritance so you you um when a when a, a son is mature enough to take over the father's business the family business that's when he is adopted as a son. That's what Paul's referring to, wheel adoption. And uh, so... It kind of, son, let me interrupt it, Gary, yeah, and just point out because something that just occurred to me as you're talking is that is it kind of relates, remember the, uh, the person when Jesus said, you know, you have to leave everything and follow me. There was this one guy said, well, let me first, you know, bury my father and then I'll come. And it was kind of like, maybe he was saying, let me first you know, inherit all of my father's things and, right. and then I'll, then I can come and join you. And so it, you know, and again, that the concept of maturity and kind of relating that to sanctification mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, the church has been sanctified and it's, it's ready to inherit the glory, you know, that we have come to the fullness of Christ. And, um, and so all that kind of ties together. It all kind of hangs together. Yeah. And, um, and as Gary was saying, the idea of being the protectors of those that have fled to probably Petra, um, you know, sort of we're, we're now kind of the Superman, you know, so we can deal with, we can deal with angels um, we are mighty ones. And so, you know, could that be part of the, of what, Re uh, Revelation 12 is talking about? Yeah. I'm looking at Revelation 12 towards the end here and it talks about, and this is the Berean study Bible translation. Um, and it's basically the part where the, the dragon is going after the woman, the man child. And then, um, we got the three and a half years there. And then, from the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away in, in the torrent. But the earth helped the woman and opened its mouth to swallow up the river that had poured from the dragon's mouth. And the dragon was enraged at the woman and went to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And what, did you guys break that down? What's going on there? Well, certainly you have this theme in Revelation that that seems to have a double referent, you know. There's the testimony of Jesus, and then there's those that keep the commandments. Right. And it's it's pretty natural for us to think in terms of well, okay, one is referring to a class of believers that have been justified by faith, 
Another one is, uh, you know, which would be, we'd say that's the church. And then, then there's this other class of believers that that honor God by keeping the law. And of course, that doesn't mean that they don't have faith and even a saving faith, but it seems to say that there's these two reference, there's these two bodies of believers that exist at this time. The And, and we say, you know, what we're kind of saying, which is sort of tricky, is that, yeah, the church goes through the tribulation, but it's the glorified church that's going through the tribulation, not the you know the 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 saints that are going to be uh, slaughtered and killed, which you know poses <laughs> an issue. But it's it is yeah. um, but it is you know a, a factor that seems to come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gons, I'm not a hundred percent sure of your question, but one one aspect of that that we do go into is looking back at the feasts. There's three parts to the Feast of Tabernacles, three parts, um, the blowing of trumpets and the the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's all considered part of the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Day of Atonement, uh, we basically link that uh, part of Revelation 12 to the Day of Atonement. Because on the Day of Atonement, there's uh, one goat that was killed, uh, sacrificed, and then one goat, goat had the sins of Israel uh, heaped upon it, preyed escape, upon it. A scapegoat. Yeah, a scapegoat. Uh, for, mm. and, and it was sent out into the wilderness, and, and uh, it also mentions in the Old Testament for Azazel, which, of course, right. is that, uh, that leader of the, of the fallen the Watchers, yeah. God, the Watchers. The Book of Enoch, leader of the Watchers, right. Um, and it says, uh, so the sins of Israel basically went away. You know, not only were they covered by the blood, but they went away for another year. And then, you know, of course, they built up again <laughs> over the course of a year. But so that, I believe, is what the Day of Atonement is all about. And I think this is what's happening in Revelation 12, where it says, um, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. Um, I believe that what happens there, it says that Satan was thrown out because there was no longer a place for him. I think the reason there's no longer a place for him is because uh, the church has come to this point in glorification and we can't get there ourselves you know even through sanctification but it has to be a work of god and that's where um, it comes through glorification the church comes to a point when all the sins are not just covered but they're gone and then satan no longer his only job in in as far as i can tell in heaven from the bible is now the um accusing He's the accuser of the brethren. Right. In in the presence of God, right? In front right. of God. Yeah. But when the sins are gone, um, uh, at the day of atonement for the church, this is when when the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in the church, just like Passover and Pentecost were fulfilled. When when the day of atonement is fulfilled in the church, the sins are gone. He no longer has a job in heaven. Mm. Nothing to accuse. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you guys, did someone else have yeah, something to say? Gonna, yeah, I was going to mention, we, we, we alluded to Ray Steadman, and yeah. you know this was a thing that Gary taught me that I hadn't seen before, uh, which kind of got us you know, going down this path. 
And, and by the way, real fast, this is a intensive Bible study book, meaning that we are pouring on the Scripture. So this isn't just picking out one or two verses, which you might get the impression. This is an intensive study uh, across Old and New Testaments to really build the case. So it's a you know, we, it's not like we can identify the the timing and the sequence of events really very well, but it's like these are things that are supposed to happen. The Scripture says they're going to happen. It's just a question of exactly when they fit in. But uh, but let me let me read this from Ray Stedman. This was from his book that we mentioned earlier. What on what on earth is happening? He said um, he said during the close of the age, the disciples, or as Jesus calls them, the elect, will be what we might call post church Christians. The church has been removed from the world, at least from any visible participation in world affairs. Since we know that Christians will be given glorified bodies like their Lord's, and Paul says that, once removed from this life, the church will be forever with the Lord, which is really what, by the way, what parousia means is that it's a coming of Christ to stay with and reside with, as opposed to just sort of the moment of coming, which is more of the the orcoma word. So this is the parousia word. So it seems highly likely that the church uh, Christians will join the Lord Jesus in this ministry behind the scenes during the tribulation. They will be like Moses and Elijah, who appeared with the transfigured Christ on the mount, the, which, of course, was, by the way, done on the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why Peter said, Lord, should we should build three tabernacles here, for one for you and Moses and one for Elijah. So uh, back to Stedman, the picture then is clear. Jesus will come for his church and take the members into a new relationship with him. Then he, with them, will remain throughout the end of the age period appearing only to those whose hearts are ready to believe in him. Rumors of his presence will continually be spread abroad so that men will be saying, of course, he wrote this a few years ago, we had to say men and women will be saying, in that day, as they said during the 40-day period, quote, where is he? End quote. Authorities will search for him and will not be able to find him, but false prophets will claim to know where he is. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of the, you know, he'll be in the desert or, you know, he'll be in the inner room or whatever. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, I, I'm picturing that there's some overlap there with the description to some things I've read about Maitreya, not saying that that's, you know, he's trying to relate the two. I'm saying that right, there's a, right. there's an interesting new age flair, not, not in the sense of it's, uh, it's sort of methodology into a sort of ascension thing that they have going on, but mm-hmm. in it, the, the events surrounding it, um, in terms of a physical kind of experience seems to right. be very similar. Although again, the, 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 the purpose or the, the one the the driving mechanisms behind it may be completely different depending on worldview. Um, right. I, I find it very fascinating that there's a, the, there are so many overlaps there. But um, one thing that you know, I want to go back to this idea of sancti- sanctification being that link in the chain because there's the glorification thing that you know it's it's as I hear you talk, uh, you know, read Ray Stedman's quote, and and we're talking about the the scenarios there in the end times or the, the future, I guess. Um, what, what is until that point where literally, I mean, I don't know how it's going to look. Is it going to, are we just going to have this, uh, you know, kind of like the video games where you can upgrade and you have this like power uh, boost, power boost, uh, or, up, <laughs> you know, new shell kind of thing. You get a sprinkling of, uh, some light and lightning bolts and, you know, boom, got my glorified body. Um, <laughs> 
Or is it going to be, you know, is it going to be determined by a certain level of sanctification that goes on in, in how we occupy? Yeah. Well, that's kind of the issue of whether sanctification is a meritorious uh, salvation or, you know, sanctification is unmeritorious as is justification. So I don't know, Gary, do you want, you want to talk to that? Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, is first Corinthians 15. I don't have it before me. Well, but I, I do. Is this the all flesh? Yeah. Let me read it. Cause I got it I'm right here. Of, yeah. Different levels of glory. Yeah, it's, right. it's all flesh. This is uh, 39 through 43. Okay. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men and another flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. Uh, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. We're not talking Mormonism here, by the way, but uh, <laughs> celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Uh, it is raised in power. And so the kind of the key point there is that one star differs from another star in glory. And there was a, I'll find the name of the paper, but go ahead and comment, Gary. I'll there was a guy that, that wrote a great paper on this that we used. Uh, David Burnett. Yes, David Burnett, who's, uh, who's a friend of, of Michael Heiser's. Yes, and, um, and Michael Heiser on the Naked Bible podcast, they've interviewed him twice, and so that's kind of where I discovered him. And then I looked up his paper, and, and I got a hold of that, and so we quoted some stuff uh, out of that. But, yeah, he talks about the glory of— um, yeah. Well, actually, what he talks about is God's promise to Abraham as yeah. being as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. And mm -hmm. we usually just think of that as being um, only numerical, you know, quantity. Mm -hmm. yeah. But really, um, what David Burnett points out, and he shows, you know, some very good reasoning for this, that God is also talking about quality. And so mm -hmm. when he talks about the stars of the sky, he's really talking about the shining, you know, <laughs> shining in the sky. And, and uh, you know, Daniel, uh, can, couldn't tell you exactly what verse, but he talks about that too. Those who bring many to righteousness will shine as the stars in the sky. So Right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, so you've got the, the idea of a differentiation in terms of, of um, you might say, status, is that we're all saved, we're all glorified, mm -hmm. but some stars shine brighter than right. others. Yeah. And I can think of a few Christians that, you know, I would probably look like a pretty dim bulb compared to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we should start calling me dim bulb Doug, I guess, you know. <laughs> so, but, you know, that it, it, that's kind of, and it sort of makes sense if you think about it, because it's like, look, our salvation question, our justification is done. That's settled. But the, the issue of whether or not we're really willing to put our hand to the plow and be a disciple and, uh, you know, the cost of discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, boy, that book gets you whipped into shape in terms of realizing that, you know, you need to make a difference in this life. And that is the, you know, that is the process of sanctification. And them that don't do it are going to be dim bulbs. And uh, <laughs> them that do are going to be, you know, beacons of light. So I, that's my thinking. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, the only thing I can think of at the moment is how Hollywood has confused and corrupted the whole thing by calling their, uh, you know, the people that they put on pedestals, they call them stars, you know? Yeah. It's just the co- yeah. confusing the, the whole process. But uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. I go back to first fifth, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15. You know, this drives home kind of the urgency of the situation. Verse 33 and 34, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Sober up as you ought and stop sitting for some of you are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. So, I mean, right. you know, yeah. it's kind of a straightforward yeah, warning like, hey, you know, it, what you do matters. It, it's not it's not just uh yeah you're saved yeah you're going to be glorified but it still matters so that's a, a good words, nuance uh, in other words keep up with the with the uh sanctification don't let don't drop that <laughs> right well that's yeah that's that's absolutely right it's uh you know it, it is it is the process by which we intensify the the glory uh that i guess that we shine with in in the world to come and you know the different levels of powers and principalities and Christ talks about you know some will will, will sort of manage many cities and some but few and uh so there's you know i know chuck messler wrote a book i never read it but he wrote, wrote a book on this issue of of different uh, levels of status uh, for believers, and, it, and it's not like we do this on our own. It's you know the the Bible says, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." This is from Philippians two, I believe. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And uh, so it's not something we we do on our own, but it is a maturing process. In fact, even Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, this is Christ, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And Christ's path was always towards his passion, uh, the scourging and the cross. And being made perfect in Christ's context was was accomplishing your mission, you know, mission accomplished, kind of not like uh, George Bush on the, you know, the carrier, <laughs> but like, you know, okay, we accomplished our mission. Christ brought the sons to glory, and and that's how he was made perfect. Yeah. So, you know, when it uh, taking all these past couple topics into consideration, I mean, it sounds like there's something for uh, something practical for people to take away from the book. I mean, this isn't just uh, you know a book uh, speculating or navel gazing about the nature of the end times or the nature of salvation and what that actually looks like as opposed to what they learned on Sunday morning. I mean, it sounds Mm -hmm. like uh, that there's some real practical uh, ideas to take away from this that would affect, you know, the, the daily lives or choices of Christians today. What Mm -hmm. uh, sort of in a big picture sense, I mean, what are uh, people to take away from this that would affect their Christian lives now. I, I was kind of thinking of Romans eight. You know, I, I don't know if someone called it the Magna Carta, the Christian life, but you know, it begins with "There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, Christ did. Um, you know, basically bearing in in his in his death all of our sins, and so we've got that. But you you kind of go down a little further in the in the chapter, and it says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation, 
but not to the law, but to the spirit. And that, you know, that always stuck in my mind. And uh, it's like every day to remember we are under an obligation. We, we've been freed from the law, but we're under an, a greater obligation. We're under an obligation to the spirit. We've been told God is at, you know, Christ is at work in us to will for his good pleasure. But are we willing to let him will for his good pleasure? Are we open to the transformation that, that he seeks in our lives individually? Mm. And uh, yeah. if, Sorry, oh. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, Jesus prayed for uh, everyone who believe on his name to become, to be one, become one as he and the Father are one. <clears throat> and I think you can look around and see that that prayer has not been answered yet. Right. Hmm. <laughs> and I think, um, so I think God wants us to allow that to happen, and it's got to be a thing of the Holy Spirit. It's, And I'm not speaking ecumenically. I don't mean getting together with false, other false religions or anything like that, but for true like believers— Like dominionists? That's right. <laughs> um, to be become one uh, in the Spirit is a different thing, and it's something only the Holy Spirit can— can bring, but I think the unity of the body is something that will have to happen before, you know, this, the things we're talking about, Revelation 12 and, and all this uh, can ever come about. And I do believe that, um, and we talk about this in the book, that the pressure on each of us individually, <clears throat> um, you know, just in our daily lives, I mean, we have things come in and we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to use those things to work in us, to become closer to Jesus and to become uh, closer to each other. Um, but the pressure on the body of Christ is going to become more severe. I think you can see that coming very easily. And God will use that to uh, bring the church, the true church, together. But we have to respond to, to that in the right way and respond in the Holy Spirit um, and I just want to throw this one little thing out, too. I, I keep thinking of it, and I don't know if it even fits here, but I have to say it. <laughs> so Paul talks about the, the Holy Spirit as being the earnest of our inheritance. And, and earnest basically means a small portion. What we have as the Holy Spirit now um, in our lives is just a very small portion of the inheritances to come. And that inheritance basically encompasses this, the uh, manifest glory of God uh, in the church, I believe. That is our final inheritance. That's the big Holy Spirit, so to speak. Mm, yeah. So, anyway, that, just throw another, that. another verse that, you know, really is important and is often quoted in this context is, is Ephesians 4.13, um, which in the New American Standard, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So there's the corporate aspect yes. and, mm -hmm. and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a weos, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, which is, you know, you might say a pretty high standard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. but we are to we are to seek after obtaining the you know the fullness of Christ. And you know, I think it's like, you know, if if we strive to do that, it's kind of like 
you know, the, the Lord's on the other side of that bridge and you can't quite get across it, you know, cause there's a, there's a big hole and there's a big gap. But if we stretch, he's, he will grab a hold of us and bring us the rest of the way. And, um, so, you know, that's, that is a key thing that is, of course, that's a verse that a lot of people say, well, then that means that, that we will not be raptured, you know, until the church is fully ready to be raptured. Dominionist. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a wrong way and there's a right way, I think, to interpret that. I think the right way is that whatever God has predestined, and by the way, predestination pertains not to justification, but to sanctification. Mm. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we're predestined to be sanctified. And so to me, you know, that that is the uh, that's really the the key to the whole thing is recognizing that in Christ we are predestined to be conformed to his image to the fullness of Christ and uh and so again I, you know the the rapture can occur or excuse me the you know the the fullness of the church the right interpretation is when everyone is brought from a predestination standpoint to the stature that you know, Christ has has basically, uh, you know, uh, foreseen or predestined to where he wants us to be. And, and so that's going to be different for different people. So um, anyway, that's kind of the way I, I try to make sense of that, because we're not all going to be perfect and we're not all going to be at the fullness of Christ. That's a an unobtainable uh, objective. And so I think that would be the wrong way to interpret that. Well, and, and perfect really in the Bible means mature. It doesn't really mean what we think of as, you know, not making one single mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and the church, the uh, maturity of the church has to do not with being absolutely perfect, never making a mistake, but it has to do with um, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to, um, to bring maturity in your life, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, failing and um, asking for forgiveness and getting forgiveness from God and from your neighbor or whatever. I mean, that all has to do with maturity. So yeah, it, and, when the and, church comes to that point of maturity, not not perfection is what we usually think of. Then uh, then we will be that mature son, the male male child who is ready to take over the, the father's family business. Mm, yeah. 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 And, and, and okay. as Christ, I was just gonna make one quick comment. Sure. The verse we read from Hebrews about Christ be, you know, being made perfect, you know, it's kind of like, did we accomplish our mission? So, you know, Gans has a mission, Basil has a mission, we all have a mission. You know, are we are we fulfilling the mission that God has assigned to us in Christ? Right. And, you know, if we are achieving our mission, then we are we are beginning to attain to the measure of the stature, which was the fullness of Christ. You know, so we're we are growing mature or perfect in that context. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. Amen. I want to bring up revelation 13 briefly um oh. no, gotta get it to the antichrist <laughs> briefly. Gotta, gotta get it in there gotta get it in there uh but yeah. it, verse 7 it says the beast and this was the beast out of the sea was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them and it was given authority over every tribe people tongue and nation um and those you know that goes on with the people who worship the beast and uh later on in verse 10 Verse 9, verse 10, he who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to die by the sword, by the sword he must be killed. 
And uh, he uh, here is a call for the perseverance and faith of the saints. Who are the saints in this little mm. paradigm that you guys are talking about? Yeah, well, that's the that's one of the tricky questions that anyone that believes in a rapture prior to the the visible the urcoma of Christ, anyone that believes in the parousia, you know, that happens beforehand, that's uh, that's one of the issues. Of course, the you know the the traditional dispensational position is that there are Tri- uh, tribulation saints. So there is, you know, I'm not a real hardcore about making these distinctions, you know, but drawing the distinction between the church and Israel and all that. There, but there's a sense that even a Dr. Heiser is uh, acknowledges that, you know, we, we shouldn't be seeing, you know, our theology's replacement theology. There is some distinction here. But for me, the you know, there there is there are the those that are raptured, and then there are those that are left behind, but yet are still predestined to become sanctified. And some of them will face the sword, some of them will face captivity. Um, but you know, they are saints as well, and they will join. Um, you know, at the at the physical return of Christ, they will be resurrected, and will join with the body of Christ. That's how I interpret that. It's very yeah. interesting. So many layers. Yes. Yeah. And and we um we didn't address that in our book, Gone. Right. So you know, you're uh it's too tricky. You're, you're making it hard <laughs> for us. <laughs> but I do I have uh an an opinion, and that's all it is. Um, but and actually, it's based on uh, something that we had we, we do have in our book, and part of this comes from Ray Stedman. Can I Go into that just a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Um, so it has to do with the sheaf of first fruits, which was the third um, part of the Passover feasts, the the three parts of Passover, and uh, <clears throat> the sheaf of first fruits. It was weighed before the Lord uh, on the morrow after the Sabbath, is the way it puts it in Leviticus, um, which happens to be the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, in the New Testament, and um, what ha- uh, Paul mentions, he, he talks about Jesus as being, says Christ has become the first fruits, and then another verse, and re- these are both in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Christ, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards those that are Christ that is coming. So, the sheaf of first fruits, believe it or not, I'm going to get around to Revelation uh, 13. I believe. <laughs> so, He's got that earmarked. Yeah, yeah. I hope. If I forget, remind me. Um, <laughs> so, what happened was uh, Old Testament uh, Hebrews, they would, um, this is what God told them to do on the. Uh, the chief of first fruits day, they would take a. Uh, so the harvest was not yet, but there was enough uh, grain, maybe somewhere in the field, they could gather it together and make a sheaf. That would be the first fruits of their grain harvest. Um, and they would take it into the temple and or the tabernacle and wave it before the Lord as a thanking him for the harvest that was coming. Um, and then, so now, Ray Stedman links this, and it really fit well into what I had been studying about the feast, you know, so much. Uh, Ray Stedman links this to Matthew 27, 52, and 23, 
where it says the graves were opened, many bodies of the saints, or let's just say holy ones, who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So we don't know how many saints that was, um, but these are Old Testament believers, and it could have been 10, my, you know, many probably means more than 10, maybe 100, and I want to say maybe 1,000, maybe 144,000. <laughs> but so uh, easy, easy there, Tex. <laughs> I might be going a little too far, but um, it's a good symbolic number anyway. I so agree. They, these saints appeared, you know, and the word using the word appeared sounds like they appeared and disappeared, just like Jesus did uh, different times after his resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, this. To me, uh, so Jesus is is the first fruits, but these Jesus and the saints resurrecting together makes a sheaf, and so that was the sheaf that was you know that was uh, way before the Lord, uh, thanking God for the the harvest that was to come, and uh, so uh, this first of all. Um, you know, there was a harvest. There was a harvest of souls, of course, at Pentecost. But it also looks forward to uh, the harvest, the fall harvest, which is Feast of Tab during the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, Feast of Tabernacles symbolizing this end times harvest and uh, glorification of the church. So, now, to Revelation 12. Um if it is symbolizing a harvest to come, then that harvest may look exactly or, more, you know, very similar to what happened uh, when these bodies of the saints rose and appeared unto many. They, they basically were in their glorified bodies, it, it seems, just like uh, Jesus was. Um, they appeared and disappeared. So, in what we talk about, and, we, and part of this is from Ray Steadman, is that during that period of time, which is the parousia, but not the epiphany of, of his parousia, not the end, um, these, this same thing could very well be happening. The glorified church, the glorified saints, glorified holy ones appearing and disappearing to first the Jews, I would say, and then possibly others. And... Um, where people whose hearts are ready to receive Jesus, you know, they, they suddenly realize, hey, something's going on here, and they're looking at their Bible, and, and uh, uh, the Holy Spirit it may not be active, you know, like it was before, but here um, they still have a, a way of Jesus appearing to them in, you know, as, as far as a glorified saint, just like it happened in the New Testament. And so... Here we have this, the, uh, the church is glorified, but there's still a possibility of people receiving Jesus during that three and a half year period of time. I think that may very well be those uh, tribulation saints that you were talking about, Doug. Anyway, yeah. that's just my theory. You it, know, it kind of opens it kind of opens the door to some really interesting questions, which you know we. Um, you know, in our in our current thinking about the rapture and the end times and all that, you know, is it 
possible that there is a partial rapture? I hate to say that because that's so anathema. <laughs> but you know, is it possible that like there was a was it a partial rapture in Matthew twenty seven? Kind of sounds that way. Mm-hmm. You know that certain mm-hmm. ones were brought forth. They were first fruits, and they were they were you know immortalized. I believe at that point, and they you know they preached the word of God to those that they saw. You know, could that be part of what is being said here? I don't know, but it might be motivating to sort of mm-hmm. say, well, you know, those of us that are mature that have completed our mission, <laughs> that, that have obtained a certain amount of sanctification, perhaps those are the ones that are raptured, even though all are justified. So I don't know, but it it, it raises a it raises a question that, that we don't really talk about partial rapture theory in the book, but it's one that if you think this through, you kind of begin to wonder about. Yeah, it's almost like a, a select few for the, the time at hand kind of thing. Yeah, and you know whether that select few is one hundred and forty-four thousand, <laughs> or whether it's again. or whether yeah, the Jehovah's Witnesses. See, I, I knew I'd eventually get around to Jehovah's Witness theology. <laughs> so, uh, the cauldron of heresies. Yes, the, yeah. all those heresies. So you know, so we don't really want to go there. And and kind of the the other thing that I'd say is everything in the book that isn't directly you know obvious from Scripture is a bit of speculation on our part. We're, you know, we're proposing these things as things to think about. We're not being dogmatic. You know, we're not saying, right. oh, you know, the rapture is definitely going to happen three and a half years, 1,260 days before, you know, and, and you know, we're going to see all this stuff occur just the way that we speculate that it might. It's speculation. It's a proposal. But right. the main thing we're trying to do is grab a hold of people, shake them and say, you know, you, you're so comfortable just thinking about the fact that your your mission is just dying and going to heaven when you haven't got it at all. You, you don't understand. You're not going to just like, you know, it's not like you've obtained your rest already. And right. even after you've been raised— from yeah. the dead, you're not necessarily ready for your rest either. There's still work to do. Yeah, and I, there, it seems like there's so many. You know, we've touched on all the. I joke about the heresy thing because a, a lot of times, you know, these different cults and different groups and different uh, denominations, they all take a couple different pieces of truths that may be in right. the Bible, and they, you know, they build hardcore doctrine around it, and that's kind of where the the fallen human nature of like trying to create some kind of religious thing out of it. You know, that's where that stuff comes in. But in terms Mm. of, you know, the actual reality, the, the nuggets of truth, um, they, they're ignored because of the fact that they're associated with these cults. Uh, so I think it's a good thing to, to, you know, obviously not say that they're correct necessarily, but that, uh, the points that they make in some of their theology and some of their eschatology, uh, ought to be considered and maybe, you know, placed on the rack of things that fit into the grander scheme of end times that the Bible lays out and, and mm-hmm. not dismiss it offhand just because some cult believes right. in it, you know? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just be, I mean, the, <clears throat> just because they quoted a scripture and misinterpreted it doesn't mean we can't quote that scripture now. Right. And use it correctly, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. As, right. As, a, as a matter of fact, um, that, when I mentioned, you know, that years ago when I went to this Bible study that started me on this, my Bible study, <laughs> um, I later realized that these people that I had had talked to were um, what you would call latter rain, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and which is which was a sect or a cult. 
yeah, which we have just, you know, we know now was a, was a heresy. And they were also called, uh, what else? Was it Kingdom Now, maybe? But that's, yeah. that's kind of a little bit dominious, like right? Dominionist. Yeah, kind dominion. of Dominionist. Yeah. And Dominionist, I think, basically Early inherited the, the latter reign uh, heresy. Mm-hmm. Really, my understanding of the latter reign was uh, the, the main heresy there, I think, and we, we mentioned this in the book just so people know that we are we are not there, we're not Nar Dominionists and we're not Lateran people, that um, they believed that they could be manifest sons of God on the earth then, you know, yeah. each individually become manifest sons of God. And uh, sort of in a twinkle of an eye, right where they are in situ. They right. they become perfect right then, you know, one yeah. at a time. And uh, and and so what we what I see and what we've talked about in in our book is that it's a it's a body thing, it's a church thing, mm-hmm. it's uh, has to do with unity and maturity as a church, not just as individuals. And it will not happen individually. It's going to happen as a church. Mm-hmm. There's right. there's a big difference there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, body life. In fact, was Ray Stedman's one of his his most famous book was called Body Life, and that was exactly what it was saying: is that it's our, part of our sanctification. A big part of our sanctification comes not just by us reading the scripture and praying or doing good deeds, but it actually comes being a part of the body of Christ. Right, getting along with your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's the tough part. Just like we were told. Yeah, <laughs> it does take a little grinding, you know, the iron sharpened anything iron. And, you yeah. know, sometimes those people are pretty ironic that, you know, we're having to kind of uh, knock some of the burrs off the side of them with. Right. Well, you know, and it's interesting talking about uh, just sort of the, the diversity um, within how the scriptures can be read or interpreted or applied to theology or even uh ecclesiology, that type of thing. Um, you, This may be a little bit out of order, but in the book, you also address um, certain mysteries that are presented. Mm-hmm. Where does mm-hmm. that fit uh, into what you guys are presenting? Yeah, this, a lot of the, the book, in fact, um, we haven't really mentioned this before, but in the book, a lot of the the work that we do is we go back, we, we go back a hundred years or so, and we look at some of the great... Um, theologians, really pastors in many cases, that talked about sanctification. And we try to bring forth a lot of their insights because, again, 100 years ago, you know, the, the, this was, our mindset as Christians was very different than it was like, this was the, the holiness movement came about. Right. The, in the Nazarene church, you had this thing called the second blessing, which was the idea of a complete sanctification in this life and that you could achieve it through your merits. And once you achieved it, you were already sanctified. So it was kind of the same thing as this latter rain movement and what they came up with. And so, but you know, there was a great amount of, of study and theologians that talked about this. And, um, and, you know, certainly, um, the whole issue of the mysteries, there's something like 16 distinct mysteries uh, in the New Testament. Just to read a few off this list I've got, there's the, uh, you know, the mystery of the blindness that happened to Israel. That's Romans 11.25. There's the mystery of the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 2.7. There's the, the mysteries of God. These are all kind of 
Pauline things. It was one of his favorite uh, memes, although they didn't have memes back then. But it was one of his memes. <laughs> I, the, I, I smell a good mystery. series of memes that we could start yes, on the Canary yes. Cry Facebook. The, the, uh, the meme of mysteries was a Pauline theological, you know, <laughs> foundation. You know, uh, the mystery of speaking in tongues, uh, the mystery of the rapture and the change of the body, the mystery of God's will. The mystery of the revelation made known to Paul. We always, you know, sometimes we forget that so many of these details about end times were given to Paul, and right. you now, and and it's not that nobody else believed them. All the apostles came to say, you know, God revealed very unique things to Paul, and their scripture, and so we we fully endorse what Paul has uh, shared with us, you know, so the fellowship of the mystery, the mystery of the union between Christ and the church, mystery of the gospel, the mystery that had been hidden. These are all from Paul's uh, epistles, mystery of iniquity, you know, which is the antichrist, the mystery of the faith, the mystery of godliness, which is really what we're talking about. And to some yeah. extent, it's the godliness of um, of Christ, you know, and this is really sort of Timothy three sixteen, which needs to be read in conjunction with John three sixteen, <laughs> to deal with sanctification um, as well as justification. So yeah, it's a it's a big part of the study, and and it, you, so you do see us. The names escape me at the moment because I haven't thought about this for a while. But there are a number, a half dozen or more of these sort of theological uh, fathers of our faith, you know, that were writing in the, you know, 1890s or 1920s or 1950s, and uh, so a lot of their wisdom that is not commonplace today, we've brought forward and put in this book. Yeah, uh, Sparks was one of them. I don't remember his hmm? initials, but Austin remember that Sparks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He is definitely one of the main ones, and I guess was this list I got was, you know, sort of uh, plagiarizing his uh, his list. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, you know, this is, those mysteries will continue to be addressed, I'm sure, and so uh, you know, I'm good to throw your hat into the ring for some of those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, I don't remember if, if he mentioned it in this little part that we quoted, but even, uh, you know, this famous classical work uh, by G.H. Pember, Earth's Earliest Ages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Boy, that he, definitely is important, he, and we talk about that, yeah. Yeah, he, he talks about... Uh, this whole thing of the glorified children of God deposing the um, powers and principalities. Powers and principalities, yeah, yeah. So. It's a big, it's a big uh, destiny for us. Is is we've got uh, there's a new administration and there's a lot of jobs that have to be filled because all the jobs <laughs> like what we'd like to see in the Congress right now. We like to see everyone <laughs> fired and just start all over again, right? right. And uh, you know, there's more, some people that we'd like to see fired more than others, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, but I won't go there. But yeah, but so you know, that's that's a lot of it. And I guess one thing I was going to reinforce again about mystery was, you know, the the concept of mystery and Paul's thinking of it. It, it really goes back to, and this is kind of some of the stuff you get into, guns, and some of your things. You know, talking about you know initiation, the uh, the hidden knowledge, the gnosis, the secret knowledge. Uh, Paul calls it epinosis. The truth is the epinosis, the super. The super secret knowledge, it's like double secret, uh, double secret uh, probation, you know, 
<laughs> I don't even remember? know what that is. Well, that, no, you, you haven't, you, you haven't, uh, an, Animal House. That's Animal House. Oh, that okay. Probation, yeah. <laughs> it was before my time a little bit there, buddy. Cultural <laughs> <laughs> references are too uh, old for Basil. Yeah, I teach I teach college students, and I I'll do things like that, and they'll have this blank stare in their face. I'm going, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm showing my age again. I'm you know I'm 40 years older than these guys. They have no idea. I mean, Wayne's World, I didn't even know about, but you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so but the concept of initiation to mystery, being initiated into the mystery, being taught the secret things, that was. You know, that was the cults. That was the old mystery religions. And Paul really was, he was sort of fascinated by that. And, but he, what he wanted to say was that, look, it's not an exclusive body of knowledge. It's knowledge that all of us should have. There are all these mysteries and all Christians, you have the right to be initiated into these mysteries. And that was kind of the thinking behind this meme of mystery. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. However, uh, the mysteries Paul is talking about, I would I would just make a distinction, has to do with the tree of life, and the mysteries that the mystery schools are talking about has to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm, Amen. Yes. Poignant Amen. distinction there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, the, the, now here's the thing. We're probably coming towards the end here, and uh, regarding your book and people— uh, making the the grand decision to see to, to check it out and purchase your right. book. What uh, would be some last words that you would leave with uh, you know your your brothers and sisters about this book and uh, what it may be able to bring to their own body of knowledge or their faith uh, that they can walk out. That. That's a that's the sixty four thousand dollar question right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gary, you want to go first? Yeah, I would say um, that it really the most important thing is that um, we have something much bigger to look forward to than um, than going to heaven playing our harps, you know, having our little cabin in the glory of, in the corner of glory land. Right. Um, Rejoining the ones that we love. That's right. But we have something much, much more fantastic uh, and spectacular, really, you know, the glory of God in, in us, in the church, changing of our bodies, everything, and a ministry, not just being glorified and then just hovering, you know, somewhere out there, but that God <laughs> is, in has a, God has a purpose in, in all of this. So it's something to look forward to. It's, it's really something to look forward to, mm-hmm. um, you know, much more than what we've been taught, I think, of just dying and going to heaven, you know? Right, right. I, I guess I would emphasize the ongoing nature of this, you know, that, you know, I'm going to misquote Paul here, but it's just, you know, one thing I know is that I, I need to disregard or leave everything, you know, the history, I need to leave it all behind. And I need to stretch forth, you know, like the runner stretching towards the finish line, you know, that, that kind of needs to be our, our, our mantra almost, you know, is that we are every day we're really trying to stretch towards that, that finish line. And, and um, for me, a lot of these things, you know, I've, this sounds kind of arrogant to say, but I'll write something that actually is pretty good occasionally. <laughs> and, and, um, and I have to go back and reread things that I've written because I'm, I'm not, 
I'm not, you know, remembering them. I'm not thinking about them. And a lot of these things, we do this, you know, deep dive thing, which were a lot of these things that I came up with in, in the books that, that I had written early. I mentioned like, you know, Black Sun, Blood Moon and, and Blood Moon, which is the other book. And there are things that you kind of need to reread. And so this, this book is, is a book that's more devotional than it is informational. And, and so it's kind of like, you know, you want to read it and meditate on the scriptures because it's, I, I counted up, it's like 29% of the words are scripture. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things that if you really are, are serious about sanctification, you need kind of a, a, you know, a dose of medicine with some frequency and rethink yourself, rethink about what this means. So it's kind of a meditative thing. So I, I think this book has that kind of quality. I don't know that a lot of people have discovered it because I think most Christians are, you know, the, in the community that we we tend to speak to and be belong to, we tend to want to talk about the Nephilim and UFOs and things like that rather than focused on you know, our destiny. Uh, what is our destiny? What is our goal? How do we get to that goal? And, it, you know, you know, newsflash, it, it isn't learning about the nature of disclosure. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know where you only, are? The only disclosure <laughs> that we should care about is the revealing of the sons of God. <laughs> and uh, and so that's my, those are my final thoughts. Amen. No, that's perfect. Amen. Um, let us know, uh, Gons, any last thoughts before I get some links out there? No, all I can think of is Gary's last thought that heaven is not a rehab center. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This life is our rehab center. Right? That is right. So, uh, where can people get the book? Where can they check out your other works? Or do you got a Twitter where you're just roasting, uh, people who disagree with you? What do you got? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Gary, why don't you tell them about the book book link? Okay. Uh, books yeah, there's a, a website for the book, uh, which I haven't added to for a while, but I have some stuff that I should add on there here shortly. Like this uh, interview. It, huh? Well, like this interview. Yeah, this will be on there, absolutely. Front Adam's page. Number one, yep. top. Um, yeah, it is the-revealing.com. And not so, hyphen spelled out. <laughs> that is correct. Therevealing.com with a hyphen so, in between with the a hyphen middle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's excerpts from the from the book there. Uh, yeah, and then some of uh, our interviews are linked there, and this one will definitely be at the top forever. Mm. Mm, that's yes. right, folks. Front and center. So, <laughs> uh, well, as to me, you know, I've been at this game for quite a long time. So I've written, Gons, I've written 16 books. Can you believe it? Whew. So, um, you know, we still have, by the way, we still have uh, book two of uh, Revising Reality we have to get back to. Oh, yeah. So that's still, that's still out there for us. Um, but anyway, uh, my website, you can find me by going to doomsdaydug.com. Or my hyphenated link is faith-happens.com. And um, I post also uh, there, I post uh, usually one lengthy article a week um, and that's more on theological topics that I post on geopolitical things 
on my Facebook page, which also automatically links to Twitter, to my Twitter tweeters, to my <laughs> tweeters. And uh, my fa- my Facebook page is also s.douglas.woodward. So it's Facebook slash backslash s.douglas.woodward. And, um, and so I've, I've also have, I've actually rehabbed my website recently. And, uh, and so there's a lot, a lot of information out there. Um, I've got, you know, kind of a carousel that plays through different articles and the carousel plays through different interviews that I've done. And so there's, uh, you know, it's it's meant to be a place that you can go and kind of hang out for a while. So uh, I think good. people will, will enjoy that. So, yeah. So that's kind of where where you can find about me. Oh, and of course, Amazon, you know, to buy the book, uh, you you want to go to Amazon. This book also is out on Lulu and and uh, Apple iBooks and uh, so forth. So it's it's Barnes and Noble for any of those that actually you know unfortunately have a nook. Uh, <laughs> it's it's available there. And uh, uh, but the you know probably the the main source is Amazon. It's both in printed as well as an ebook format. And uh, and that's where we would encourage people to go. And uh, buy a book. The okay. price is right. We've kind of lowered the price of it, so the price is right. Hey, well, I can't argue with that. Yeah. Gary Huffman and Doug Woodward, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Everybody, remember to head over to the-revealing.com. Grab the book. Find it on Amazon. Check out both of their work, and uh, you will not regret it. Looking through the material that I have, uh, very fascinating and actually makes you think about stuff that maybe you didn't pay too much attention to before. (laughs) And that in itself is worth the price of, of, of admission. Gary and Doug, thank you guys for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. A lot of of fun conversing with you guys. Appreciate it very much. And there you have it, folks. Thank you so much again, Gary and Doug. Doomsday Doug Woodward. Guns, I don't know how I never thought about this before, but the Bible does have a lot of description about the possibilities of the afterlife besides just sort of lounging around my my pool in, in my mansion. It seems like there's less of that even than, than what's really in there. But I know. yeah, no, I, I it's um it's a topic that it's always fascinated me. I'm glad you know somebody was able to sit down and write a book about it, or a couple people uh, to write and a book about. And the depth of research, you know, they sent us a copy of the book and some of the extracurricular materials and the depth of research. Um, I would say is above average for sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think they said it was 300 and, uh, how many pages? A lot. Yeah. More than 300 pages of uh, 107,000 words, 340 pages. So yeah, you're going to get a lot. And you know, because of the detail that they went into, it felt like this conversation was just like the tapping on the window. Yeah. And the great thing I love about it is, um, asking questions and seeing what the Bible has to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Make sure to check it out. Therevealing.com with a hyphen, the hyphen revealing. You think I could just get hyphen.com, just the symbol hyphen? (laughs) It's probably, no, probably. Well, maybe. Okay. Well, while you, somebody already has it. Well, well, let's find out. We're going to find out live. Sophia probably owns it. Yeah. Um, It's like Sophia's brother. (laughs) Well, uh, I am hyphen. Yes, very good. But back to the revealing, Gons. <laughs> hey, you wanted to talk hyphen. I'm just, I'm just getting the website. That's all I'm doing. 
Okay. Mm, right. Nope. Says invalid. Is there any... Yeah, it's invalid. Yeah. Never mind, people. Hyphen.com is not for sale. <laughs> that was going to be my retirement fund, selling hyphen.com. Okay. So, anyways, back to this episode. Uh, that was fun having both those guys on. They're they're quite the 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 well researched, smart, and funny guys. Yeah, it's uh, it makes sense that we were talking hyphen because uh, it was a noun used as an adverb meaning meaning together in one. Gary hyphen or Doug under one. <laughs> Gary, we just created a, uh, a hybrid a chimera. A chimera. Gary of hyphen the Doug. Yeah. So hyphen. make sure to check them out. Uh, if you get a, you may get an invitation from us on Facebook and uh, we recommend you accept those because uh, you're going to want to check these guys out and all, all their work. Obviously, Doug has uh, written many, many books that w- some of which we've talked about in the past. Um, but our, I mean, I think we would consider them, uh, you know, part of the core library of um, at least things to be knowledgeable about. Uh, yeah. regarding this type of stuff. And so go ahead and go do it. Do it now. Yep. Do it. Add it to your library. That's right. And Hyphen. if you were edified or educated or entertained or anything by this uh, show, if you found value in this episode of Canary Cry Radio, please consider either going to canarycryradio.com slash support where you can sign up uh, with PayPal for either a mon- monthly support level or, uh, you know, if commitment's not your thing, you can just make a one-time donation there. Or heading to the patreon.com, <laughs> the Patreon, patreon.com slash canarycryradio, signing up to support the show on a monthly basis for $5 a month. You could support a couple of poor podcasters. And uh, also get bonus episodes. Again, I'm not going to rehash all that's involved in those bonus episodes, but we do those as a reward for those who want to uh, uh, help us keep the show going, who find value in Canary Cry Radio and want to uh, show that by uh, giving a little bit of value back. That's how the system works. And that's how we're able to keep doing the show. So please consider that. Go to uh, patreon.com slash canarycryradio and sign up. Also, and or if helping out hyphen, <laughs> hyphen, if the show, if helping out the show financially is not in the budget, which we totally understand, we don't want anybody to stretch too far for us. Um, go ahead and consider sharing one of these episodes with a friend that you might uh, you might want to get get on the Canary Cry radio train. If you're co- you're complaining, you're all complaining. You don't have friends to talk about uh, the the topics, the fringe topics we talk about here in real life, and maybe that's because you haven't sent them an episode to indoctrinate them <laughs> into. <laughs> Into get them the, to listen to the club um so shake them so go ahead and do that and that helps out quite a bit and uh make sure to check out the facebook page and the facebook uh canary cry community i know not everybody is on facebook but we've got about two thousand members in that community and uh it is a beautiful community. It's not just your sort of super heavy, intense 
uh, you know, conspiracy theory zone, although that does occur for those who are into that. But there's also uh, people praying for each other, Canarians meeting each other in their own towns, uh, finding each other in their own states and uh, sharing lots of memes. Uh, so it brings a little bit of joy to your to your day as well. You can find that uh, facebook.com and just search Canary Cry Community. And I had something else. Yeah. I can't remember now. Mm. I started listening to you. You're just and I so got, you were in my thrall. I was, yeah, I got carried away by your, okay. your pitch. Well, to give you I a second. to go on Facebook now. To give you a second to think about it. Um, also, if you haven't done it yet, search Ravel, R-A-V-E-L, on your podcast player and uh, subscribe to Ravel. It's a brand new uh, podcast coming out specifically focused on scripture and exploring the Bible with myself and uh, my good friend and prisoner, Christopher Ryan Gates. Um, <laughs> the trailer is He's a prisoner. Yeah, huh? <laughs> it's, an, it's a joke you'll get when you listen to Ravel. Um, uh, there's the season one trailer up there now. So you can listen to uh, hear what the show's going to be all about. And season one will begin dropping soon. So get ready for that. Did you? Yep. And I still have uh, the Face Like the Sun channel starting to publish more word of encouragement videos. Yay. We need more words of encouragement. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing else left to say. It's like the world just keeps getting darker. So it's like, okay, all right. Yeah. All right. We get it. And remember the joy spiracy theory. If you're not on the joy spiracy theory train, I just don't know what to tell you. We've got episodes coming out. Uh, another one coming out next week. Um, talking to listeners just like you who tell their stories, not just the story of how they got into the fringe topics and what that meant in their lives and the struggles that that proposed, but also just testimonies and life stories. And it's a very rewarding show for me to do. And I'm constantly getting emails emails about uh, what it means to people who listen. We've got another episode dropping next week. Oh, man. I, I learned a lot about adult chicken pox and being in uh, medically induced comas and what it means to uh, sort of have a spiritual experience in a coma and fighting demons to get your uh, your body parts back. So if you're... that. <laughs> Let me just say that that sparks so much intrigue. I'm telling you, you're going to love this one. Especially because of a recent um, untimely passing of a, of a progressive Christian author who was um, somebody I vehemently disagreed with theologically, but... Uh, and got into Twitter beefs I'm, with. Uh, got into Twitter beefs. No, I got muted, so I didn't really get into beefs with her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it's an interesting thing to, uh, get into. I'm going to definitely check that one out for sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So make sure to do that. Subscribe to the joy spiracy, just like conspiracy, but with joy instead of con the joy theory com. Wait, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a website, but also just it's on your, <laughs> Look I'm it losing it. <laughs> just, just look for it. Okay. Find Any, it. Anything Python. else? Yeah, hyphen it. Anything else to uh, talk about? Was there any fun conversations we wanted to add at the end here? There was, but I just don't recall any of it anymore. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really the uh, the old age is really getting to me. You should see the grays coming in, Basil. It's it's profound. It's real, man. It's it, yeah, it's coming in little patches. Living it's living the, fun. the gray hair life. You're. Yeah, you're gonna be look so wise next to me. I'm I'm ready for glorification. <laughs> I, 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 
<laughs> well, I probably need a Me lot more too, sanctification man. too. But I woke up. I just had a regular night's sleep the other night, and I woke up, and my elbow was hurting, and it hasn't stopped hurting since. Just out of nowhere, my elbow started having troubles from sleeping. It was too hard, difficult of a task for me to accomplish without straining something. I've had this weird, not a fear, it's not that much of a thing, but just this uh, this uh, anxiety that uh, I'm going to pop an Achilles for some reason. Ooh, yeah, no, yeah. don't do that. No, that wouldn't be fun. Yeah, that'll ru- really you ruin your future NBA career. I know, I won't be able to dunk on people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. And on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage. <laughs> <laughs>